Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Toughness, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So, Uri, what did you think of the Super Bowl yesterday? Um, I thought it was fun. I'm not the biggest sports fan or what? football fan. Um, yeah, so, but that being said, uh, I had a good time. I saw some friends that I haven't seen in a while. I was at a, a really fun party. Wow. Um, great food, good people, so... <laughs> All right, if there, you have any critical feedback, I'm sure the listener would want to hear that also. For context, I hosted a Super Bowl party this year, and Uri was there. Um, and I think it was fun. I think it was actually a lot of the people who were there listened to, to many of the episodes. So I think, did you get, did you get any critical feedback from people you didn't know before? Um, no critical feedback. Nobody said anything negative, at least to mm-hmm. my face. Um, but there were a couple of interesting encounters of like various Tah heads and friends of ours who have gotten shout outs on different episodes who uh-huh. met each other and recognized Aww. each other from those shout outs. Bringing people together. Yeah, talking oh, Tahs. That's what we're all about. No, it's, it's football, I think, that really does it. You okay, know? <laughs> you say so. Maybe somewhere in between. I'm, I, I'm very, very, very into sports, as, mm-hmm. as you know, and as many of our listeners know. Um, but this year, because we we're hosting a Super Super Bowl party. It was the first year that like I didn't really watch it. Like right. I was just busy. So right. I watched like the last quarter, which I, from what I'm understanding, mm-hmm. you know, that was the quarter to watch. It was really exciting. But I just I enjoyed the whole experience. It was really fun. So uh, if anyone doesn't have plans for next year yet, uh, feel free. You're welcome to, to come on over. Hey, what's up? Not much. Wishing I was watching the game, having a bud. What's up with you? Like you, wishing I was watching the game, having a bud. True. True. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? Yo, where's the unit? What's up? What's up? So, uh, transition. Speaking of sports, um, as probably everyone listening knows, the basketball star Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and seven other people were killed last Sunday morning when the helicopter they were taking to a youth basketball tournament crashed near Calabasas, California. People were absolutely shocked and stunned, understandably. Kobe was a very special player, probably one of the top 20 to ever play in the NBA. He was drafted in 1996 straight out of high school and was immediately recognized as a dynamic and exciting young player. I was recently actually rewatching after he died. I was watching some clips from like his early slam dunk contest, which mm-hmm. is a part of the all-star game. Right. And like, it, it's just, it's crazy what he could do. He was mm-hmm. just like, he was so incredibly talented and he wasn't even, I mean, yes, he's really obviously athletic and incredible, but like, it's not even like he was the slam dunk leader of the generation. Like he was an all around athletic leader, but also it he, was like, yeah. it was really mind blowing. And I think that was his, that was his rookie year that I was watching and he wow. won that year. Together with Shaquille O'Neal, he brought the Lakers to three back-to-back championships in his early years. And after Shaq was traded away in 2004, he became a clear leader of the Lakers and then led them to a few more championships. In 2006, he scored 81 points in one game, which is the second most points scored in a single game in league history. And it's the highest number of points recorded in a game since 1962, which is pretty ridiculous. I was actually at a Shabbat meal this past week where when someone brought up Kobe Bryant, one of the people at the meal said that he had been at that game. Like that was like his memory of Kobe. Outside the game as well, Kobe has been very, very well respected. He has four daughters with his wife, Vanessa, and he talked often about parenting and how much he loved his kids. Actually, a few years ago, he was being interviewed by ESPN newscaster L. Duncan, who was pregnant at the time with a girl. And when she told him that, he responded, girls are the best. I would have five more girls if I could. I'm a girl dad. And you might have seen this hashtag, or I don't know if you saw it, but it really went viral over the past week 
with dads of girls, including celebrities and including athletes, mm-hmm. posting pictures of themselves with their daughters mm-hmm. and sometimes with different inspiring messages uh, along with hashtag girl dad. Mm-hmm. However, there is a big tainted mark on Kobe's career, the Kobe Bryant rape case. On June 30th, 2003, Kobe was spending the night at a hotel in Colorado where an unnamed accuser worked. The night is a very clear he said, she said. Uh, And I'll quote a short piece from her police statement just because I think it's like kind of powerful to hear the words, but we'll obviously link to the entire statement. I think it's really worth reading. We were talking and he asked me to open the jacuzzi for him. I told him that my shift was over and I was going to go home. He proceeded to try and convince me to come back in 15 minutes, which I told him I would just so I could get out of there. And then I was just going to leave and not come back. Um, I stood up to leave. He stood up, asked me to give him a hug. I gave him a hug and he started kissing me and I let him kiss me. And the kissing continued. Then he took off his pants. And that's when I tried to back up and leave. And that's when he started to choke me. He wasn't choking me enough that I couldn't breathe, just choking me to the point that I was scared. And it gets more graphic and upsetting from there. Kobe's police statement told a different story. He first denied anything sexual happened whatsoever. But when the police told him that they had done a physical examination on the accuser, which included taking semen and blood evidence from her, Kobe admitted that the two had had sex, but also said that it was completely consensual. Although Kobe was charged with sexual assault and false imprisonment, which could have meant life in prison, the case never actually went to trial because the accuser informed the court, I think a week before opening statements were about to begin, that she would not testify. She also agreed to dismiss the sexual assault charge against him, provided that Kobe issued the filing apology, which was read in court by his attorney. Quote, First, I want to apologize directly to the young woman involved in this incident. I want to apologize to her for my behavior that night and for the consequences she has suffered in the past year. Although this year has been incredibly difficult for me personally, I can only imagine the pain she has had to endure. I also want to apologize to her parents and family members and to my family and friends and supporters and to the citizens of Eagle, Colorado. I also want to make it clear that I do not question the motives of this young woman. No money has been paid to this woman. She has agreed that this statement will not be used against me in the civil case. Although I truly believe this encounter between us was consensual, I recognize now that she did not and does not view this incident the same way I did. After months of reviewing Discovery, listening to her attorney, and even her testimony in person, I now understand how she feels that she did not consent to this encounter. I issued this statement today fully aware that while one part of this case ends today, another remains. I understand that the civil case against me will go forward. That part of the case will be decided by and between the parties directly involved in the incident and will no longer be a financial or emotional drain on the citizens of the state of Colorado. That's the end of the statement. And Kobe and the accuser did end up settling the civil suit for some sort of undisclosed amount of money. So immediately after Kobe's death, as often seems to happen, people flock to social media. One of my friends posted, I have such great memories growing up watching Kobe, and I was really inspired to see his commitment to his family and many other important causes since his retirement. There are really no words. Another friend wrote, so sad. He was a great player and a decent human being. My prayers go out to Kobe's widow and his daughters. Also, another person wrote, a lot of people lost a piece of their childhood today. R.I.P. Kobe. And celebrities also posted, and many famous people, Obama posted. Uh, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of L.A., said that Kobe, quote, will live forever in the heart of Los Angeles and will be remembered through the ages as one of our greatest heroes. So on the other hand, there were a lot of people who were upset. One of my Facebook friends wrote, quote, he was a rapist. I am not sorry he's gone. 
In my opinion, the world is a better place without him. So, of course, you also had many people who fell somewhere in between, right? There were articles written about how legacies are complicated, how we shouldn't be ashamed to love and grieve people who also did really horrible things. Others made the argument that you can see the complexity in people, but that you shouldn't mention it now as his family is grappling with the pain of his loss. And even others argued that he did tshuva, that he has changed since that sexual assault, and that that should impact the conversation. So Uri, obviously, as is our want, this is a complicated and sensitive conversation. Here are some of the things that I've been thinking about and wondering over the past few days. How does this Kobe situation from 15 years ago relate to cancel culture? Does it relate to it? And how bad does an accusation about a person have to be that that act is a part of their legacy? How do we determine who gets to be forgiven? Does the accuser make that decision? Do we as a society make that decision? And what about the court system, right? None of this was decided formally in court. Does that matter? Do we care what the court system has to say? Or is this completely a moral issue? Um, What are your thoughts? What are your initial instincts here? I know that was a lot. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, it's obviously a, a tough thing to think about. Obviously, these things are complicated. And you were talking about court. Um, we're talking here about the court of public opinion, which I think is a very fickle, unpredictable, and sometimes arbitrary or seemingly arbitrary in the way that it adjudicates cases. And obviously, some of the factors involved are how well-liked is this person? Um, Who were the people involved? What color was their skin? What are the details? Was it sexual? Was it not sexual? Or was it like drug-related? You know, like different types of offensive, different types of people committing those offensive, different types of victims. And if you're thinking in a purely um, justice perspective, none of those things really should matter or should not matter very much. We should look at what was the crime and how should that be handled. That's just not how people look at it. Another really interesting thing that I've been thinking about is there's a a comedian, Chris D'Elia. I think I've mentioned him in the past. Mm -hmm. I really like him. He has a podcast um, every week. And he was talking about the Kobe thing last week. And he was saying something. I mean, this isn't the most profound thing. I'm sure everybody's thinking this on some level. But he was saying... Kobe was a real person, obviously, but Kobe was also an idea. He kept he kept using that phrase, like Kobe Bryant was an idea. And especially for people who had never met him, but felt so connected to him and felt so um, upset and were grieving when he died, even though they had never spoken to him in their lives, part of the explanation for that is because to, the, to so many people, so many millions and millions of people around the world, Kobe was an idea, an idea of success, an idea of achievement, of greatness, people, I'm sure, see a part of themselves or something that they aspire to be um, in a figure, a larger-than-life figure like Kobe Bryant. And so when somebody like that dies suddenly, it can be very devastating for people. But all that being said, I think the the rape allegations, the rape case against Kobe is part of his legacy. It can't be ignored. And I think the most appropriate response from somebody who really admired him but is conflicted would probably be just to say it in that way. I greatly admired him. I'm very sad that he died. I'm a little conflicted because he had this terrible incident in his past and, and we can't ignore it. I mean, I guess I'm curious to hear what you think in terms of like the cancel culture um, element. Like what you, you quoted your friend who posted that, like, I'm, I'm glad he's gone. He's, it, the world is better without him because he's a rapist. Is that... Do you think that's fair? Do you think, well, you know, what's your perspective on it? Uh, I definitely understand the rage behind it. Like, I, I think that's that's a very, it's a very upsetting feeling, but it's a very understandable feeling. Um, 
I mean, as you know, I believe very, very strongly in in Shuva. I really believe strongly in change. Um, I I found his statement. Um, I kind of wish he had read it instead of his right. his Why? lawyer yeah, reading it. Yeah, um, I was also thinking he in the statement he says like I want to apologize directly, but it's not directly because he wasn't even saying right, it. Right. Um. I I think there's always more power. You know, if he's the one right. doing it. Um. I think that could have been a really really amazing moment. But there's actually something that had been going around. Uh, in in the past week and a half, that uh, is also I think a really valuable story. The truth is, I actually I didn't look so into it. A bunch of people have been posting it, but basically, um, Kobe was once suspended. Did you read about this? Kobe no. was once suspended for calling a ref. He used the term "effing fag." Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that I would say the word "fag," but I wouldn't say that. Well, okay, well that's that's in its own conversation. Um, when he was like very upset about a call, basically, and he basically after that happened and he was suspended, he basically did the work was the way that um, it was put online. Sort of he started working with Glad. Um, and then over the years later on, he, like when he heard fans using derogatory language about gay people, he put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was kind of like a statement of not only growth and, and apology, but actually really making a influential change in the world around him as a result, which I think is really the epitome of Chuba. It's right. not only saying like, oh, I regret it, but it's in the future actually impacting the world for the good. Um, and with this particular thing, I think his apology was very powerful and he has done a lot of incredible things in his life since then in a very public way, like his daughters, he, he speaks a lot about what it is to empower girls. Um, he, in the past has been like, um, he's been in interviews, people have asked him like, oh, is it hard for you that like, you don't have a boy Mm -hmm. who's going to, you know, be, be your, be your next generation on the court. And he's like, no. No, that's ridiculous. Right. I love my daughter. That's exactly what I want. And his daughter, by the way, she was only 13, but she was an incredible basketball player right. in her own right. She talked about that WNBA a lot. Kobe was a huge supporter of the WNBA. He, unlike a lot of NBA players, he went to a lot of games. He was like a really, really a big advocate for women in sports. And there's a, there's a lot of power there. But on the other hand, he still in many ways thinks of himself as a victim of that scenario um there's been a lot of press about how he became he, he's very religious catholic i think he he and his daughter had both and i guess his whole family had had gone to church that sunday morning mm-hmm. um which he did i think every week um and he talks about how that helped him through the trauma of this experience and, mm-hmm. and i don't deny that it's a trauma but i think in a lot of ways he still sees himself as the victim there's there's another interview that basically after the trayvon martin situation where a lot of black celebrities and athletes um i mean white also but also very many black people were coming out and saying that could have been me that could have been my sons that mm-hmm. could have been you know my our, our whole community he did not come out and say anything about trayvon martin and when he spoke to a reporter about it he, he basically said because he doesn't want to jump to any conclusions because he knows that he was unfairly uh-huh. wow. maligned. And later he kind of, he, he did start getting more involved in this particular thing. He still saw himself as a, a, a victim to a certain extent of a false accusation and the press and things like that. So, you know, there's, there's Chuva and I can't judge what's in his heart. You know, I don't know, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like sometimes in situations like this, when we say like, you know what, we don't need to like, yes, it's part of his legacy, but let's, you know, there are so many other important, amazing things that he did. But the woman who he allegedly, you know, obviously, whatever, whatever we want to call it, the woman who he allegedly assaulted and raped, she doesn't get, she doesn't say that, you know, like there's no sense from her. Like she has made no public statements. In fact, the reason she withdrew her, the, the, 
the case entirely, the reason she refused to testify is because she was completely maligned, not only by the press, but also by Kobe's lawyers. So, which, which, you know, it's a tactic. Do you think sexual crimes are different than other kinds of crimes in terms of being able to, for society to forgive the perpetrator? I don't exactly know. I mean, I, I I think crime, I I don't, I, I, the term crime to me isn't even useful because sexual wrongdoing, right? So let's say, let's say moral wrongdoings, right? Because it's not even about, to me, I I don't care about what happens in a courtroom. Right. That's not what I meant. So, okay. So a conversation about a moral failing that a public person has and when you quote unquote forgive them, right? There, there are certain like levels, right? Because if I like, you know, if I bump into someone on the street, that person can walk around for the rest of their life nursing that injury, right? But that doesn't mean that like people should say, you know, like, oh my God, Rifki, she's a horrible person, like what she did. And to a certain extent, that's true for anyone, right? No one is the sum total of every single of, you know, even we say this a lot, even the worst thing that they've ever done, right? That is not what should define them. And yet, when I hurt other people and I don't attempt to make serious amends for what I did in a very public way, then doesn't that also kind of show that like you think, I haven't yeah. moved past it? You think the apology had to be public? We don't know. I'm not saying I I think he did something I'm not probably, just talking like, about an apology. Yeah. Meaning like I'm saying if he... If he says, which he he said in this he said in this this public declaration that he recognizes that the way he thought about the scenario as it was happening was not how she was thinking about the right. scenario as it happened. So there's a lot of work to do in that particular arena right now, right? There's a lot of conversations happening publicly about what remember the Aziz Ansari article from mm-hmm. a few years ago where it was very clear that they were having two very different nights, right? Mm-hmm. He thought they were having like a lovely sexual encounter, and she was like, "I felt completely devastated." and he had no he wasn't reading me at all and like there's a point where it's like and obviously i'm not trying to say that they're the exact same thing there's a difference between an an unpleasant night and being raped right of course of course of course but i'm saying if he's saying like let's imagine to give him the the biggest benefit of the doubt that he really totally genuinely thought it was completely consensual it was a perfect kobe yeah let's say kobe kobe thought this was completely amazing but then he recognizes a few years later you know what that was my experience that was not her experience then i think he needs to do the particular work not only in like raising women in the wnba which is like also a woman related thing but in sexual assault in educating men for boundaries right in all of those things in that particular arena and i that's that work that. has not been done. Right. I don't disagree with that. I think it's obviously a very sensitive thing and he probably his thinking was probably even if he wanted to do that he he was probably advised or thought himself that if he does that he's going to bring more attention to the to the whole situation and in the end it's going to cause more harm than good for him and maybe for his family, you know, I'm just assuming that's that was the thought process, as opposed to the uh, homophobic remarks that he had made in that game. I think that's a lot easier to make amends for publicly. It it doesn't, you know, because it doesn't relate to his family, it doesn't relate to his marriage in the same kind of way. So that's just an easier thing to acknowledge, to admit, to to confess to, you know, and to to work on. I'm, I'm not justifying or, or rationalizing. I I'm hear what you're saying, but I think it's another example it. of him sort of putting himself first a little bit and I, okay. I don't and but but I do understand what you're saying I do understand that tension there I think your question's a really good one of sort of like like what you just asked is like is sexual 
um, wrongdoing fundamentally different than other ways in which mm-hmm. you, we wrong one another, right? Like, um, you know, we were in, in researching for this episode, we were talking about um, other celebrities or other, you know, people who we we put on a pedestal in a certain way who have spent time in prison. And we found a lot of people who were in prison for drug or uh, alcohol-related offenses, DUIs, right, which are which are also incredibly problematic, but I, I and like incredibly dangerous, right? A lot of mm-hmm. these DUIs they could have resulted in in, in manslaughter, or, you know, in, in serious in, in actual death. Um, but for some reason, to me, and maybe it's because I'm a woman, and maybe it's because you know of of other kind of societal things that are happening in in this era of our generation right now. But for for, for some reason, for me, sexual crimes really do seem like something so. Uh, I don't know. Now I'm going back and forth. Uh, addiction seems like a different category to me. Like things that are caused from alcohol or from drugs, I feel like they're harder to have a discussion, a real conversation about, about like how someone atones for that because there's addiction really complicates things. But when people um, either assault someone in a sexual way or in a non-sexual way, I think like that is something that takes a particular level of reparation on the person who actually committed that wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. So you're putting all assault in that I category. I think so. There, there's something about sexual assault that feels different to me, but I'm not sure that I could put a, a finger on what. I don't right. know. Like, what I about you? Th- Does it feel different to you? I don't have a definitive opinion. And I well, also clearly think, neither do I. <laughs> I also think it's not productive to to rank you know, wrongdoings and crimes necessarily if you're a judge, well, but and, you're not, but we're, we're not to say, no, to say one thing is worse than the other instead of just saying, these no, are we're saying like, really what bad. is there, is there a value in society forgiving quote unquote? Right. Pe- I mean, for society should forget anyone who atones, right. Who actually goes through a full process of, Chuba. well, I think it depends what they did, but like one, one, I of, don't the, think so. one <laughs> of the people we had mentioned was Mark Wahlberg, very famous actor who was charged Long t- a long time ago with a number of separate incidents of physical assault. He may have blinded one person. It's actually controversial if he actually blinded him or not. The person himself says he wasn't blinded. But anyway, he severely physically assaulted yeah. a f- number of people While on different occasions. While also screaming racial epithets at these people. Okay. And from what I can tell, I mean, that does come up once in a while. But from what I can tell, he's still getting... A-list uh, roles in movies, and he doesn't. His career does not seem to have been particularly damaged by those incidents, and those think, are multiple. And, and I things. think these incidents happened before he was a celebrity. Okay, so, so his you think it would have career, stopped him before right, his tracks? Right. And you have something like the Kobe Bryant thing, which was one incident at least that we know of, and I, I don't even want to get too deep into the comparisons because I don't think it's that productive. It's just something to think about how we, as a society. Um, view these different types of things and what we're willing to forgive and maybe if society could be more consistent i think it might be better but. so i'm curious just in comparing obviously it's a, it's a different situation but if we go with the mark Wahlberg comparison to kobe bryant a friend of mine a friend of the show also Susie, sent me a piece called dear white woman which did you see this yes and i also wanted to ask you about the race yeah the so i was thinking as you as you're talking about comparing mark Wahlberg and kobe bryant basically that the case in dear white women is a was written by a black man who was making and and it's it's a really interesting read definitely we'll obviously include the link to this in the comments but basically that there are prominent black men who what when you hear their names you think of a lot of the bad things that they've done mm-hmm. and that that's very very different than the experience uh, that we have with a lot of white men who may have done some of the same things may have done something 
some things even worse, and that's not the experience that we have when we think about these people. Okay. I'm not exactly that, sure if that's if that's if that's true. I would have to hear some names and think about it. But okay. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, he gave he, he gave a bunch of examples, he named, right? That, that we he talked about. Oh, okay. Um, no, no, I'm saying he gave he gave a list of of, of the men who we think men. of. Yeah, exactly. right. But did he give a list of the white men that did the similar crimes, but everybody is fine with it? Well, I mean, the only one I can think of is Mark Wahlberg because we were just talking well, about him. Right. But like, okay. But um, America refuses to see black people as fully human because humans can make mistakes. Humans can learn from those mistakes. Humans can therefore be exonerated and humans can be forgiven. And that black men are seen as subhuman in some way. That's not his word. That's the, I I don't think he used that word, but that black men are not seen in that same way. And black men are not, uh, are not forgiven for their crimes. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to be an asterisk on what they, on what they did. Mm Mm-hmm. And on their lives. What, what do you think about that? I mean, I'm very sympathetic to the idea of it. I think it's a little bit extreme. There, there are plenty of white men who are at the top of the list of the, the Me Too, you know, perpetrators. I mean, Harvey Weinstein's on trial right now. I don't think anyone has any sympathy for him. Um, Louis C.K., yeah, there's a, the list goes on. So I, to say that every white man gets off scot-free, I think is just completely false. That, that's not to say that there's no but like, truth I to mean, his you argument. Don't think, like Louis C.K., you don't think he's like basically forgiven? Like he has gigs all over New York. I don't know his touring schedule. I would definitely not say he's been forgiven in the court of public opinion. It doesn't feel that way to me. I th- he hasn't done anything public, like major mm-hmm. public. Right. I'm also, he's it, doing these small gigs. Right. Also, like if he stuff. died tomorrow, it would absolutely be in the headline what, you know, what he did. Like, like that would definitely be a, a huge part of the conversation. I mean, what do you think about the racial thing? I think also just from what I've read, the racial thing kind of goes both ways because of the fact that the his accused, Kobe Bryant's accuser in this case was a white woman. Right. And there is also like a long history of white women accusing and falsely accusing black men of rape and sexual assault, you know, going back right. decades and, and yeah. stuff like that. So that's sort of like the reverse side of, of the of the race thing, you know, and how do we think about that? You know, because that's conflicting values of like, we don't want to falsely accuse men or black men in this case, but we also want to believe women. Right. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking that that same thing because it was I was really struggling because I really do understand, like I feel like if we are talking about identities and talking about um, groups of people who are, who have gone through historically so much and have suffered so much, like black men are, are obviously really up there, but, but so are women, right? And I mean, black women probably, uh, not probably, black women definitely bore the brunt of everything. When women report assault and when women report rape, they're often not believed, they're often belittled, they're often made to feel like nothing. And at the same time, black men are disproportionately imprisoned, especially for crimes that are either equal to white men who don't have the same uh, sentences or, or often not in prison at all. There, there are so many things here where it's like everyone is getting screwed. So now when you pit these two groups against each other, right, and black, with black women also stuck in the middle because black women are expect like with, with the whole R. Kelly thing, black women were demeaned for reporting R. Kelly over and over and they were saying that you had to support R. Kelly because he was a black man and there's so few good black right. men, right? It sucks to be a black woman in this world. But like there's this re- really awful situation in which everyone is really a victim here, right? So I, I feel like there's something so painful about the fact that we're saying like oh it's not fair for Kobe Bryant as this black man and he's representing this large group of people when it's like but what about her like she went through something incredibly traumatic she went through rape or she went through assault or she she that that's what she's claiming and like for for us to say like 
okay, but you don't understand, like there's larger identities here at play. Like that, that's not how it works. Like this poor woman and what she went through. So that's, I think, where my personal sensitivities, I feel like they're, they kind of lie everywhere. But if like fundamentally we're to stand with one group, which is ridiculous, we should stand with everyone. But like that, that to me, like the pain of what she's going through is the one that I feel most like called to, I guess. And how does that translate at the end of the day in how we talk about or remember Kobe Bryant? I don't think we can have a conversation about Kobe Bryant without talking about this. Every single conversation that, that we talk about him, that has to come up? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like there's been a lot of calls for us to sort of like think about context and this like that. And I think that often that sometimes end up in a very talkless way, meaning ignoring this part or kind of like putting a nice sentence about it in a very long article, right? Like in a very long article, you can include a paragraph somewhere near the end. I'm like, that to me feels very pat and doesn't feel like it's really genuinely trying to talk about the full life of someone and the full life of a victim of that person. Right. I definitely hear that. I I don't think I disagree. I think this definitely can't be ignored when discussing Kobe Bryant's legacy. But I guess I, I, I'll conclude and I, coming back to what Chris D'Elia was talking about, that Kobe was an idea. And I think... People need ideas. People need larger-than-life figures to inspire them, to entertain them, to to motivate them maybe to try harder, to work harder. And I don't think we should deprive all those people, all those fans of that or make them feel guilty for having Kobe as a role model or as somebody that they really admire and look up to. So I'm not sure about the making people feel guilty thing. I personally love making people feel guilty <laughs> and making myself feel guilty because I think that kind of pushes us to think about things more complexly. Like, I think you're allowed to see Kobe Bryant as someone who you idolize in the sport of basketball as long as you say that without idolizing him in every as way. Person. Yeah, like I think... Well, that's something else that we didn't even get into. We don't have time now, but maybe we just have to rethink the whole celebrity culture and worshiping of celebrities what do you mean? that our Why? society Why does. Do Why? And I think this might be a good example of how that is not always the most productive mm-hmm. um, mentality to have when looking at these right. um, famous people. Well, we got to cut it there, but obviously really, really, really curious for all of your thoughts on this. Please join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast. And as always, please also send us an email, be in touch with us, Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Drive-In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Bye.